Amen. Thank you for that, Brother Dan. And, uh, speaking of amazing grace, today we're going to continue our study of the book of Genesis. Hmm. And uh, we're going to start here in chapter 6, beginning of verse 5, and we'll read down to the end of the chapter. So when you find Genesis 6, verse 5, would you please stand for reading God's word? Okay, Genesis chapter 6, beginning of verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their ways on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof of the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come to you, come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as a food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Amen. <clears throat> May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father, once again we come before your throne of grace this morning, looking to you, Lord, asking that you open up uh, this passage to us, Open our minds up to it. Lord, this is, this is eternal truth before us this morning. Your Word. It's not just history. It is history. But it is also truth that is relevant for us today. So, Father, we pray, teach us. Enable us to see the connections. Enable us to see how Passages such as this one uh, back in Genesis connect to the gospel, the story of Jesus Christ, and enable us, we pray, to see how all of that impacts us. Lord, we want to do your will. We want to honor you. We want to be faithful ambassadors in this world representing you correctly. 
reflecting your character before those around us. So again, Father, we pray. Sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, I love the way Joel, Joel started us off there. He said, speaking of amazing grace, we pick up our study in Genesis. I think a lot of times we wouldn't make that connection. You know, we, if, if we were doing uh, John 3.16, we would say something like that, you know. Speaking of amazing grace, or Ephesians 2, uh, 2.10 or something, but Genesis 6, well, yes. <clears throat> yes, it is a story of amazing grace. And uh, we've, we've, uh, we've tried to point that out, and Lord willing, we'll continue to try to point that out. That's the story of Genesis, just like all of the Bible. It's a story of grace. God's grace toward undeserving people like you and I and, of course, even you and I. Back in 1996, I could could say, you know, back in the last century, you know, sound really old here. Back in the last century, (laughs) 1996, uh, in January of that year, as a matter of fact, I was at work. And um, all of a sudden, a familiar voice came over the PA system as um, one of the ladies that answers the phones, or did at that time. And she said, uh, with amazing calmness, (laughs) she said, uh, attention everyone, there's a tornado coming. Get away from the doors and windows and get to a safe place. And I remember looking at one of my coworkers, and we were all looking at each other, kind of, uh, you know, um, surprised. And I said, uh, you know, I look around. We were in a a Kwanzaa hut, big warehouse, Kwanzaa hut-style warehouse, metal building. And I remember looking at him, and I said, there's not a safe place in here. (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, there's not in a building like that if, if it takes a direct hit. Well, long story short there, we we were safe, but it's only because... The Lord kept us safe. Um, and we got hit, but the, the, where, the warehouse where I was did not take a direct hit, and everybody was fine. Sin is deadly. And it's, you know, I, I, I get amazed um, at myself, actually, <clears throat> when I think about things like that, and I think about how serious we will take something like a tornado or, I don't know, car wreck, anything, anything that we think of as, as uh, life-threatening. And then how lightly we will think about our own sin. Oh, we're pretty good sometimes at taking sin seriously when it comes to <coughs> other people's sins, right? But we, our natural tendency is, is to excuse ourselves, but the truth is, and, and the Bible is crystal clear on this, God makes no apologies, um, the truth is, sin is deadly. The good news is, here's where the grace comes in, God provides a safe place. And we got a story before us here, and we're just, we're just at the beginning of it, um, much more to come here with Noah, 
Uh, we're just we're just getting into it. But we've got a story here, just like Joel uh, mentioned earlier, of amazing grace. A time when God's wrath, at this point where we're reading, God's wrath is about to be unleashed. And of course, eventually it is. But a time also where, again, for His people, He provides a safe place, a place of refuge. And interestingly, here, He doesn't even um, take them out of the situation. I mean, it's not like He catches Noah and his family up to heaven while the earth is flooded. But He keeps them safe in the midst of it by grace. Well, those things have some direct implications for us, and that's what I want to begin to talk about today. And Lord willing, as we go on through this story about Noah, I want you to to see much, much, much more here than a kid's story. No doubt, it's just I mean, just like many other um, stories in the Bible, it's a great kid's story. There's good reason for that, you know, because the author, I mean, he he knows what he's doing when he writes stories. And when he plays them out in history, it's a great kid's story, but it's much, much, much more than a kid's story. So here's my kind of summation. Uh, I always try to put it in a sentence for you of the main point here. And Lord willing, if we have time this morning, I will. I will there's a couple other passages I'll try to pull together um, with this. We'll see how it goes. But here's my my uh, main point sentence. Though God's wrath is coming upon the world because of the corruption within the heart or within the human heart, God provides a safe place for all to whom He shows favor. I'll say that again. Though God's wrath is coming upon the world because of the corruption within the human heart, God provides a safe place for all to whom He shows favor. Or you could substitute grace for that last word there. It's it, Some translations, and if you look at verse 8, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Some translations use the word grace there. And, you know, I've heard people say, um, you don't really find grace in the Old Testament. Well, yes, you do. It's all over the place. And sometimes it's explicitly um, stated in sentences like that. Noah found grace or favor in the eyes of the Lord. The situation here is dire. And we began with our reading this morning in verse 5, and this is where um, Moses, Moses is the author here, um, the human author, of course, behind him, uh, God. God is the ultimate author. All Scripture is God-breathed. So Moses highlights the evil in the human heart. And I try to, you know, stress that a little bit, the way I'm saying that, because I I don't want us to think of evil or wickedness or sin, whichever word you want to use there, iniquity. I don't want us to, to think of that merely in terms of outward actions. That's, that's the way we, we tend to think of those things. You know, people were doing bad things. Really bad things. Well, that's true. 
That's absolutely true. People were doing really bad things. And we can say that about our own day as well, right? People are doing really bad things. But there's a reason that people are doing really bad things, and it's because people are really bad. Bad. Not in the colloquial sense, you know, I mean, that doesn't mean tough or something like that, or, you know, you can whip anybody. But it means corrupt. Corrupt, sinful, wicked, the term used here. And I know we, we don't, in our own um, conversations, you know, modern conversations, we don't use those terms a lot, you know, wickedness or something like that. People um, sometimes equate uh, weird things with those kinds of words. But what we're talking about here uh, essentially is rebellion against God and the ways in which that manifests. But that rebellion takes place in the human heart. Now, look at verse 5. Here's um, God's own description of it through the pen of Moses here. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Now, just listen to the language here because it's strong. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It's powerful. Now, if you just took that first part of it, the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And if that's all, if that's the only way the Bible ever spoke about sin, then we, we probably could get away with thinking of it as being outside of us. You know, it's, it's just things that you do, like bad habits or whatever, and things that you want to learn how to avoid. In other words, it's not that we're bad, it's just that we sometimes mess up and do bad things. And everybody does bad things, right? But Scripture um, won't let us get away with that kind of view. And just as the writer of Hebrews says, it's like a double-edged sword and it cuts, and it cuts right to the heart. The innermost being. I don't, you know, I wonder sometimes, and of course we express that differently in different cultures and different times and different ways, but I always, sometimes when I think of that, or I try to think about what's a really good way to say that. But you, but you get the picture. We say something like heart, the heart of man. Sometimes people will, to put a little emphasis on it or, or to really make it clear, they're going deep. You know, they'll say the heart of hearts or something like that. Just a, just a little uh, emphasis. Basically, we're talking about who we really are at our core. That's where the problem is. That's where the sin is. That's where the iniquity is, the wickedness is, whichever word you want to use, evil that's the seat of the rebellion against God. It is, it is essentially me, the real me, the very me, the truest me at my deepest level rebel, rebelling against God. Now you see that here, uh, I think, again, it's because Moses' language is so emphatic. The Lord saw that the wickedness... And by the way, this, this is in contrast to chapter 1, um, and, and intentional. I think the, the author is doing this intentionally here. When, when God finishes 
creation. In chapter 1, verse 31, Moses says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So he's, he's putting emphasis there that when God finished creation before sin came in the picture, it was very good because God does amazing work. God does amazing work. Well, this is in direct contrast to that. He's saying now, now in the, in the days of Noah, just prior to the flood, things had gotten so bad because of sin, because of human beings rebelling against their Creator, that when God saw, when He looked, He didn't, he didn't see something that was very good. No, what he saw was that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart... Do you see how, he's, you see how with his language he's getting down to the very depths of the human soul? I mean, it doesn't, doesn't leave any room at all for, for thinking in terms of the external. I mean, this popular um, notion today that basically everybody's good. <laughs> basically everybody's good. And all we need is a little better education and better opportunities and that kind of thing. And the goodness will come out. Well, it doesn't leave any room for something like that. Now, I'm not going to take the time to do this here, but I, but I just want to say this, and you can, uh, we, we can do this. We, we will, Lord willing, be doing this some as we go. Um, but this doesn't change. I mean, I'm bringing that up because you might be thinking, well, this was the way it was in Noah's day. But it's different now. God purged the earth, and it's much better. You know, we've, we've, we've become more civilized. We've matured and, um, you know... It's just technology. I mean, things are just better. It's better, and it's getting better. The Bible doesn't leave any room for that kind of thinking either. Like I say, I don't have time to go into all that this morning. But I will say this. In Matthew 24, um, Jesus makes it clear that when you get to the end times, it will be just like it was in the days of Noah. So he doesn't speak of that kind of uh, improvement. All right, so... It's not just outward activity that man is involved in. It, it, it is every intention. And notice the word every there. In other words, not some intention of the thought. Every intention. And it's not just the thoughts, but it's the intention of the thoughts. I mean, man's very intention and in what, what he's thinking about is corrupted. I mean, no wonder he can't do anything right, anything good, essentially good. It's not to say that what we would think of as good things uh, weren't happening. They were. We, we, are, we already talked some about how um, society is, is uh, civilization is, is uh, being born here and, and technologies are, are being invented and so forth. So there's advancement in some ways. But even while all that's going on, the heart of man is corrupt. And he's not using his advances in technology and arts and 
um, things of that nature. He's not using his advancement in those things for the glory of God. He's using those things for self-exaltation. Using those things to pursue evil desires and so forth. So even the intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil. Again, notice it, only, only evil, not somewhat evil, sometimes evil, only evil, continually. See what I'm saying? Moses is just using strong language here so that we're not left with any doubt that the heart of man is corrupt. That's reflected also in the words of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 17.9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. And Jeremiah says, who can understand it? Well, the answer is the Lord, but it's not you or I, because the heart is deceitful, even our own hearts. Again, uh, a popular saying today, follow your heart, follow your heart, right? Well, that's a sure path to hell. The heart is deceitful, Jeremiah says, above all things, desperately sick. All right, so man's wickedness, the evil within the human heart at this time is great. Secondly, God's pain. God's pain. This is really interesting. In verse 6, And the Lord regretted that He had made man on the earth, and it grieved Him to His heart. Isn't that something? We, we just, we're just talking here, like in verse 5, about the heart of man. The heart of man was only evil continually, so Moses um, gives us a, a little wind of view into the heart of man. See all the corruption. Now he gives us a, a view into the heart of God. And the heart of God is grieved because of the evil heart of men. The Lord, so much so, he says, the Lord regretted that he had made man. Now, you know, um, there's a lot of times, a lot of discussion about can the Lord change his mind? Does the Lord change his mind? Does the Lord repent? And there are other passages um, that explicitly say, you know, that God doesn't repent. He's not a man that he should repent. He doesn't change his mind. As a matter of fact, there, you know, there's no change in him uh, at all in any uh, essential sense. God's not, my point here is God, God's not taken by surprise here. He's not caught off guard. Oh, all of a sudden he notices man is sinful and goes, Oh, I wish I hadn't made man. I, I don't think we're intended to understand it that way. But we are to understand that sin, that is rebellion against God, grieves God in such a strong way that he would use this kind of terminology and say that he's grieved to his heart or in his heart. It grieved him to his heart. In other words, he's deeply grieved by human sin. And he goes on to say in verse 7, I'm sorry that I have made them. Verse 11, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. Well, you may remember from our study in chapter 1, God created man to fill the earth with His glory, didn't He? 
God created man, male and female, in the image of God, that is in His own image, and He gave them a mandate. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. So the idea is, fill the earth with little images of God. Fill the earth with the glory of God. But what we're seeing here, now that sin has entered the picture, is the earth is not being filled with the glory of God, but the earth is being filled with violence. Which, again, is just an expression of the rebellion in the human heart. You ever turn on the news and wonder, why one individual guns another individual down? Well, I know there are all kinds of reasons um, that are stated. But ultimately, it's rebellion against God. It's an assault on God's image, which means it's an assault on God. That's always the underlying cause of sin, rebellion against God. And just boils down to, in, in, in the heart of an individual, it boils down to loving me more than loving God. So the earth is corrupt and God is grieved. Grieved to his very heart because he's not seeing his glory ref- reflected through these creatures that he has made. Instead, he is seeing an abundance of rebellion. So he makes a determination. God does. Verse 7. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land. Now this is where God's wrath comes into play. I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land. Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I'm sorry that I have made them. So God makes a determination to bring judgment for sin, for rebellion. In verse 13, God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. You notice that, by the way, again, he doesn't... It's not something else that's to cause. The earth is filled with violence through them. That is, the, the problem here is the human heart. And so God says, I'm going to make an end of all flesh because the earth is filled with violence through them. And he determines to bring... Judgment. Now, we've talked before, there, there are different ways in which God's judgment comes. Um, there's one sense in which um, we need to understand it as being present. Always present. In fact, Jesus says in John that if you don't believe, the wrath of God remains on you. That's interesting, isn't it? I mean, most people, most of us walk around. I can think before um, before um, the Lord saved me, I, I, can th- I, I wasn't, there was a point where I, I, I sort of came to an understanding of that by the grace of God. But, but for the most part, I wasn't walking around 
worrying about the wrath of God abiding on me. And most people aren't. They don't even think that way. They don't even think in those terms. And yet, what Jesus is saying is that that's a reality. That's a reality. Jonathan Edwards, in his famous um, sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, gave a great illustration of that. And he talked about, um, and I'll just give you the, the, the short version of it, but he talked about suspend, being suspended over hell, dangling by a, a spider web, you know, something in the thickness of a spider web. In other words, in other words uh, you're a goner if that thing breaks, and it's likely to break. And he says the only thing that can stop you from going to hell is the hand of a God who is angry because of your sin, because of our sin. That's a scary picture, but mo- and that's present. I mean, that's, that's the way things are. And Jesus says that's the way it stays if you reject Him. The wrath of God abides on you. And in Romans 1, when, when Paul is, is talking about um, the rebellion of man and the rejection of the glory of God and so forth, and he gives examples, uh, one of which is um, manifestations, I should say. He, he gives examples of manifestations of the sinfulness of man, one of, one of which is uh, homosexuality. Not the only one. That's not the only sin or worst sin or something like that, but it's, but it's one. And he talks about how God manifests His wrath because of all of those things. Because of men and women not glorifying the Lord. And the way that God does that, presently, Paul says, is that He gives them over to their own sinful lust. So, just the fact that we would be allowed to do what we desire to do, and I'm, I'm meaning in terms of, of sinful activity, sinful lust, sinful desires, just the fact that He would give us over to fulfill our own sinful desires, that is judgment. And then, of course, there's the final judgment day that we think of. Um, the Scripture teaches, one day we will all stand before God, give an account. So judgment is coming in that sense as well. God has determined to judge the world because of sin. He's, he's grieved. He's grieved to His heart because of the rebellion of the human heart. And He cannot be indifferent to that. And He cannot overlook it because He is holy. And so in His justice, He determines to bring judgment on the rebels. And then there's God's grace. Now, I think the way that we tend to think naturally is we're surprised if God brings punishment. And it really ought to be the other way around. We ought to be surprised when God shows favor because we don't deserve it. And passages like this ought to really highlight that reality for us because we're, we're, we're reading here about the depths of 
human sin. And again, when we talk about that, we're, we're talking about direct rebellion against the Creator. And in spite of that, and in the midst of that narrative, all of a sudden, bam, there's grace. Grace. Verse 8 for us here. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Or Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now let me just say again, without going into a long explanation here, grace is by its very definition undeserved. Anytime you begin to, to, to interject anything there that would help bring it about or you know deserve it, then it's no longer grace, it's merit. And the reason I'm, I'm bringing that up is because it would be easy to think, oh, okay, God showed favor to Noah because X, Y, Z. You know, because Noah was an... In fact, Moses is going to go on here to talk about Noah's character. Uh, so we could say, um, God had grace on Noah because, verse 9, Noah was a righteous man, because he was blameless in his generation, because Noah walked with God. Well, it's true that... Noah's, or Moses, rather, is giving us some description there about um, Noah's character and Noah's relationship with the Lord. But what I want to say here is all of that is because God bestowed favor on him. In other words, it's not the other way around. The fact that Noah was a righteous man, and as Peter says in the New Testament, he was a preacher of righteousness. The fact that Noah was a righteous man and that he was a preacher of righteousness and that he was blameless and that he walked with God, all of that is due to the grace of God. And like I say, I don't have a lot of time to go into that this morning, but the rest of Scripture bears that out. And you think of Philippians 2, for example, or, or I'm sorry, Ephesians 2, and you can go there and check it out. It's through grace that we're saved, not works, Right? And that way we don't have anything to boast of and we, we don't. So what I'm suggesting here is that essentially, I mean, there's, there's one sense in which we want to we want to draw a big contrast here between all of these wicked people and Noah. There is one sense in which we want to do that because we're told Noah walked with God and we want to we acknowledge that, we want to learn from that and we want to say, Lord, grant grace to me that I would be like Noah in the sense that, I, that it would be said of me, he walked with God. But there's another sense in which we want to be careful. We don't, we don't want to make a distinction. And that, and that is this. We don't want to think that there's some essential difference in Noah. That everybody else was wicked and evil to the core, but then there's Noah, and Noah, Noah's heart was good. Well, that would fly in the face of too many other passages. Psalm 14, for example, in Romans 3, where Paul quotes Psalm 14, and he makes it clear that there are none who do good. None who seek after God. And that's the very point that Paul is making there, is that the only reason any of us know God and seek God and walk with God is because of grace. 
because of grace, because it is given, it's the gift of God, as Paul says in Ephesians 2. So even in the midst of all this rebellion, God, in His sovereignty, reserves a people to Himself. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so, it could be said, Noah walked with God. Now, Look down with me, before we run out of time here, at verse 18. God speaking to Noah, He says, But I will establish My covenant with you. I will establish My covenant with you. So, God picks Noah out, and He says, You and I, you are going to be in a special relationship with Me intimate relationship. You're mine. I will establish my covenant with you. He's already said, I'm going to destroy all flesh, right? So here again is the contrast. I'm going to destroy all flesh, but then he says to Noah, by grace, because Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark. There it is. What God is doing there is creating a place of safety. He's he's determined to bring His wrath on the world, but He says to Noah, I'm going to establish My covenant with you, and you will come into the ark. I'm not bringing My judgment on you. And again, it's not because Noah doesn't deserve it. It's just divine grace. And it's because God's doing something. He's got a plan. And you read on, and we're going to find out what that is. I mean, He's going to create a people to Himself. It'll move on from Noah down to Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way down to David. David, all the way down to The New Testament, right? Jesus. God's doing something. So He says, I'm going to keep you safe. You're entering into covenant with Me. I will establish My covenant. He's not even... uh, This is what's known as a a unilateral covenant. I mean, He's not saying, okay, we're going to make an agreement here, but He's, I'm going to take the initiative here and I'm going to establish a covenant. And here's what you're going to do, Noah. You're going to enter, come into the ark. Now, Lord willing, we'll we'll get to the rest of the story. But here's what I want us to see for today. I said earlier, this is not just a kid's story. And it's not just history. It is history, and I want to be clear about that. It's not a parable. It's, It's an account of a historical, real historical event. Real historical people. Noah, his wife. His three sons, their wives. All the people that perished. Real people. But this is not given to us just for the sake of 
learning a little bit of history. What's happening here is a, a pointing forward. I mean, this, this is looking forward to something. Something coming. A safe place that God is providing. Like the ark, but better than the ark. So that when God is pouring out His wrath, or manifesting His wrath, whether it's present, again you think about Romans 1, John 3 and Romans 1, wrath of God abides on them, or in Romans 1, God manifesting His wrath, giving them over. In the midst of all that, and of course, we're, in those passages we're talking about right now today, in the midst of all of that, there is a place that's safe from the wrath of God. Or we could be talking about the day, capital D. The day of the Lord. The final judgment. When we all stand before God to give an account. When God finally and fully, that, that time won't, it, that won't be a foretaste. That'll be the fullness. When God finally and fully pours out His wrath in the form of casting all unbelievers into the lake of fire to spend all eternity away from the presence of the Lord. So even if we're talking about that, there is a safe place to take refuge. It's not the ark. You know, they just built one up in Kentucky. So don't run up there and get in it. <laughs> Where is it? Where is this safe place? It's Jesus. It's to be in Jesus. That's what the ark pictures. And the covenant is the covenant that God cut with His Son, the eternal Son of God, Jesus, and which was ratified when Jesus sacrificed Himself on the cross at Calvary that we sang about earlier. I'm going to give you a couple passages and then we're going to dismiss. I'm not going to read through all of this, but um, this is the kind of language Jesus uses in John 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Verse 5, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me, that, that is, abides can be translated remain, or you can, if you use the word abides there, you can just think in terms of live, live in, like we talk about abiding in our house. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Now listen to what he says here. This is John fifteen six. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered 
thrown into the fire, and burned. In verse 8 he says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciple. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Jesus is the only safe place. Ultimately, what we all need is to be saved from the wrath of God. It's sure, certain, more certain than anything we know in, in our everyday experience, materially. And God has made a place of safety. We were created to bear fruit for the glory of God. And the only way to do that is to be in Christ. In Christ. Would you stand, please? We're going to pray in a moment and dismiss. And I just ask you before we do that to consider where you stand this morning with the Lord. When Jesus talked about being in Him, remaining in Him, abiding in Him, what He was describing, what He goes on to describe there is a life of submission to Him, keeping His commandments. He said, you keep My commandments, you abide in My love. He goes on to say, My commandments is that you, want, that you love one another. So he's talking about a life that is given over to the glory of God. He's talking about people who trust in Him, who trust in Jesus for forgiveness of sins. Listen, we're all sinners. We, we, I was talking about the depths of sin. That, that's all of us. And the only way to avoid God's wrath for our sin is to trust in His Son, Jesus Christ. That's why He came. To set us free from sin. To rescue us from the consequences of sin. The eternal consequences, meaning God's wrath. That's how great His love is. Just like with Noah. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And God made a covenant. And God instructed Noah to build an ark and told him to come in for safety. Well, God made a covenant with His people. And the idea is come to Christ for safety. He is the only safe place. He is the only way to be reconciled to our Creator. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, again, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the blessing. The blessing of forgiveness 
the blessing of reconciliation to you. The blessing of eternal life. And Lord, I, I pray now that if there's anyone in this room today who does not truly know you, may even know about you, may even know a lot about you, but does not truly know you, Lord, I pray that this would be the day, the time that they surrender to You and know the joy of knowing Your love, Your forgiveness, and the joy of walking with You. For their good, for Your glory. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. We're dismissed.